Hello, and welcome to The Search. I'm Shahe Jurgen. This is Biblical History, the story of God's work through the ages. Lesson 9, Exile and the Messiah. The empire of David and Solomon was no more. King Solomon built shrines and temples for his pagan wives to worship their false gods, so the Lord punished him by dividing the nation he ruled in half. Ten of Israel's twelve tribes joined Jeroboam in the north, while only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remained loyal to the Davidic monarchy in the south. King Jeroboam built alternate worship sites to compete with the Jerusalem temple, which institutionalized idolatry in northern Israel. Generations passed, and Israel grew increasingly wicked until the days of the northern kingdom's most vile ruler, Ahab. King Ahab, along with his wife, Queen Jezebel, not only elevated and promoted the worship of Baal, they also persecuted and massacred the servants of the Lord. God dispatched prophets like Elijah and Elisha to denounce Ahab and the worship of idols. And these mighty miracle workers did their best to promote genuine religion in the north, but they were never able to bring about a national revival. Another generation passed after the days of Elijah and Elisha to a time when God commissioned a final trio of prophets in Israel, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. Jonah, of course, was famously sent to Israel's national enemy, the Assyrians, with a message of judgment. Jonah's preaching inaugurated a wave of repentance in Assyria's preeminent city of Nineveh, which likely delayed the Assyrian invasion of Israel for a time. And it was during this respite from their enemies that the people of northern Israel were given one final opportunity to repent at the messages of Amos and Hosea. Amos foretold of judgment coming upon Israel, while Hosea assured the people that God still loved them and that he would take them back if they repented. Tragically, Israel did not listen. In 722 BC, the Assyrian war machine decimated Israel. The northern ten tribes were completely annihilated. Once the Assyrian armies finished off Israel in the north, they continued marching south into Judah. They destroyed villages and butchered many Jews. Now, the righteous king Hezekiah was on the throne in Jerusalem at this time, and he had an advisor named Isaiah the prophet. Hezekiah made ready the city's defenses and, and begged God for help and deliverance. Isaiah the prophet received a word from the Lord announcing that God would intervene to save Jerusalem for the sake of the promises he made to King David. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. 2 Kings 19, verses 35 and 36. God rescued Jerusalem. But even after the Assyrian withdrawal, there was still a sense of unease in Zion. King Hezekiah, for all the good he did, had allied with the upstart empire of Babylon to defeat the Assyrians 
and this decision proved to be the geopolitical downfall of the nation. Now still, God's work in saving Jerusalem meant that Judah could continue for about 150 years after the time of northern Israel's destruction. After King Hezekiah, some of Judah's most wicked rulers sat on David's throne, and none was worse than Hezekiah's successor, Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger, says 2 Kings 21, verses 1 through 6. Manasseh here is likened to northern Israel's most vile king, to King Ahab. Manasseh ruled for over five decades and Judah never really recovered from his reign. There was one more reformer king after Manasseh, Josiah, who was his grandson. Tragically, though, Josiah died when he was still pretty young in a battle against the Egyptians, meaning Judah's decline into apostasy continued. Great prophets like Jeremiah warned the people what would happen if they did not repent. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah 25 verses 8 through 11. Now, just as Jeremiah prophesied, so also he witnessed. After Jerusalem was burned, he wrote, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She, who was queen among the provinces, has now become a slave. Lamentations 1 verse 1. For the next 70 years, the people of Judah lived as slaves in Babylon. Portions of the book of Ezekiel document what life was like in exile, but the main book written during this time period about exilic life is the book of Daniel. Daniel was taken to Babylon as a young man. He and his companions were enrolled in a kind of Babylonian training program to serve the royal court. God blessed those Hebrew youths, and they excelled. They were granted prominent positions in the Babylonian government. The book of Daniel is about hope and perseverance in times of great adversity. It teaches the appropriate way for the people of God to live in a hostile world by both maintaining loyalty to God without attempting to overthrow or harm human rulers, even wicked kings. However, the most important message relayed by Daniel and his prophetic predecessors has to do with the future hope of Israel centered around a figure often referred to as the Messiah. 
The Hebrew word for Messiah just means anointed one. The Greek equivalent is Christ. Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. But to understand the meaning of Messiah, we need to know a little bit about how the word and the concept the word uh, talks about developed. Now, Samuel the prophet and the two kings he anointed are, of course, the central figures in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. But before any of these men come into focus, 1 Samuel begins with an incredible account of an amazing woman of faith named Hannah. Hannah was a righteous woman who took her struggle of infertility to the Lord. She vowed that if God would give her a son, that boy would be entirely dedicated to Yahweh's service as a Nazarite. The Lord answered her prayer. She bore a son. She called him Samuel, according to 1 Samuel 1 and verse 20. Now, once Samuel, the child, was weaned, Hannah delivered her young son to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. She offered a sacrifice, worshiped God, and then made this declaration. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. 1 Samuel 1, verses 27 and 28. Amazingly, Hannah's prayerful praise did not end with these words of dedication. 1 Samuel 2 records a beautiful prayer poem spoken by the godly mother. Hannah found that she had many reasons to rejoice, even though she was doing what no mother would naturally want to do by giving her son to be raised by someone else. She exalted the Lord because of his blessings to her, because of his own unique qualities, because of his work in the world, and because of the hope she had for a bright and glorious future. Her prayer concluded with these words, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 1 Samuel 2, verse 10. Now listen here. Hannah did something no other Bible figure had ever done before her. Hannah made a connection between the word Messiah and the concept of a future king. The Hebrew word for anointed in this passage is Messiah. So Hannah both recognized and prophesied that God would not only raise up a king, he would also judge the entire world through this anointed ruler. Now, this is significant because before Hannah, the word Messiah had only ever been used in association with the priesthood in the book of Leviticus. But after Hannah, everything changed. Messiah, the word Messiah, is found 18 times in the books of Samuel. Usually it's translated into English as anointed. And it almost always is associated with kings like Saul and David. You remember when David refused to kill Saul, even when he had opportunities to do so, because David said Saul was God's Messiah, God's anointed. And Hannah started it all. Now, over 500 years after Hannah and her son Samuel, Judah was taken to Babylon. 
And during the days of the exile, when the children of Abraham looked for future hope, the Messiah began to be increasingly viewed as the culmination of many ancient prophecies that God had made over the centuries. Why, way back in Genesis 3, the Lord told Eve that one of her descendants would destroy the power of the serpent. God promised Abraham that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. God told Moses that a future prophet would arise in his likeness. He will tell them everything I command him, Deuteronomy 18.18. God bound this messianic figure to David's bloodline. Back in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16, when God promised that David's heir would reign over an eternal kingdom. Davidic kings became God's sons, like in Psalm 2, when it says that God installed his king on Mount Zion and made him ruler over the whole earth. So from Eve to Abraham to Moses to David, God's promises began to take shape in meaningful ways. But it was during the era of the prophets when more detailed and specific messianic promises were made. Now, Isaiah is probably the supreme messianic prophet. Remember, of course, that he was ministering during the time of northern Israel's destruction. Man, there would have been grave doubt and uncertainty about God's power and the future of God's people. But his messages of hope were all about Yahweh's future plans, and they were vitally important. Isaiah, for example, said that a forerunner would appear before the time of the Messiah to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The anointed king would spring up from the stump of Jesse's line, meaning that it would appear as though the Davidic line of kings was dead when suddenly the true heir to the throne would appear. The Messiah would be born of a young virgin. His life would be modest, poor, and lowly, so that no one would suspect by looking at him that he was a great king. The anointed king would come to heal the sick, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He would bring light to all nations in keeping with God's promise to bless the entire world through Abraham. He would be rejected, humiliated, tortured, and killed, not because of his own wrongdoing, but because he is God's appointed suffering servant. The Messiah would draw the nations to Jerusalem, and his law would go forth from that holy city victoriously. One of Isaiah's most important contributions to Israel's understanding of the Messiah comes in the ninth chapter of his book. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah gives a vivid description of the ideal Davidic king. He's the perfect ruler who embodies the person and power of God himself. His relationship to his subjects is like that of a father leading his household. His reign and dominion is not spread by the power of the sword, for he's the prince of peace who upholds justice and righteousness forever. 
Isaiah is sometimes called the gospel prophet because his announcements regarding the Messiah are extensive, elaborate, and detailed. Like Isaiah, Jeremiah and Daniel prophesied during turbulent times in Israel's history. And also like Isaiah, they offered glimpses of hope for Israel's future. For example, Jeremiah said that even though Judah would go into Babylonian exile for 70 years, God would bring them back to their land. He also said that God would inaugurate a new covenant with the people, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Daniel's messianic prophecies focused on the elevation of a figure known as the son of man. And of course, over the kingdom that he would rule. We read, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel's vision harmonizes with the everlasting kingdom promised to the heir of David but adds that this king is different from the old Davidic monarchs. Why? Because this king is led into the very presence of God, something even the seraphim who minister around God's throne can't do without covering their faces and their bodies with their wings, according to Isaiah 6 and verse 2. God told Moses, no one may see me and live. Yet this human being can not only be in God's immediate presence, but he also gets to sit on a throne right next to the Ancient of Days and receive worship. Now, all of this information revealed by the prophets was the sustaining energy Israel needed during the difficult days of oppression and exile. To be exiled is to be removed from God's presence and blessings. But God assured his people that he would bring them back to the land of Abraham and David and that he would send his anointed king into their midst. According to the prophets, the Messiah would bring blessings to all the nations. Being heralded by a forerunner and born of a virgin, he wouldn't come in grandeur and glory, but in humility, preaching to the poor, healing the sick, and ministering to the outcast. Eventually, this Messiah would suffer and be killed, yet God would vindicate him. He would be raised to the very presence of God's throne, inaugurating an eternal kingdom based on justice and peace, binding his people to a new covenant and forgiving their sins. The Messiah would be a king, a prophet, and a priest. He would fulfill the promises God made to Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, and all of Israel, all nations and peoples of every language worship him. Let's consider now some concluding truths from exile and the Messiah. Number one, we've learned that God guides the course of history to his ultimate purposes. Number two, exile represents judgment and separation from God. Number three, the Davidic kings were the descendants of King David through whom God's reign on the earth was to be 
exercised. Number four, we've learned the Messiah is the anointed king God ordained to bring the fullness of all his blessings to the earth. And finally, the new covenant is that new agreement that God would make with his people to bring about the forgiveness of their sins. The exile was a dark and difficult time for the people of God. A psalm written about those days in Babylon says, How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Psalm 137 verse 4. Jerusalem was God's city. The temple was the rightful place to serve and worship the Lord. When separated from Jerusalem, the people felt a complete separation from God. Yet the prophets kept hope alive in the person of the Messiah. His reign shall overpower the kingdoms of the earth. His rule shall inaugurate blessings for all humanity. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed.